0: Good morning. Welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth,
1: meaning, and beauty. I am Chris Jimerson, Minister for Program Development here at the church, and I'm pleased to welcome this morning Andy Gerhardt, who is our
0: guest speaker today. Um, Andy is entering his second year of seminary to become a Unitarian Universalist minister, and also I'm pleased to welcome Carol Ramsey, who will be our lay leader. Good morning. It's great to be back up here. It's been almost exactly a year. I gave a sermon on July 16th of 2016. Um, And just to continue, I just want to extend a special welcome to any visitors here um, who are here this morning. Now we'll do the lighting of the chalice. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth and love, and to help one another.
2: The call to worship is from the Bible, Acts 2, verses 1 through 12. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us our own in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Alamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to the Serene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds and power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean?
0: So this is the point in our service where we all think about what brings us together. Um, that Pentecost reading, this, uh, for our Christian brothers and sisters, this is the season of Pentecost, which lasts really, really long. Um, and Pentecost Sunday was about a, a month ago and it's about everybody seeing the divine and the sacred through their own language um, and that's what I that's why I chose that here in this church we have people who are seeing the divine and the sacred in their own languages in every way shape and form and that's what we're here to talk about today and the way, what really brings us together is our mission statement, which you can read up here on the wall as we say every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice.
2: We have two readings today. The first is from Gilead by Marilyn Robinson. So creating experiences of any sort is like building a ladder to the moon. Don't look for proofs. Don't bother with them at all. They're never significant to the question. And they're always a little impertinent, I think, because they claim for God a place within our conceptual grasp. And they will likely sound wrong to you, even if you convince somebody else with them. That is very unsettling over the long term. And our second reading is from Pema's Shodron, From When Things Fall Apart. Heart advice for difficult times. As human beings, not only do we seek resolution, but we also feel that we deserve resolution. However, not only do we not deserve resolution, we suffer from resolution. We don't deserve resolution, we deserve something better than that. We deserve our birthright, which is the middle way an open state of mind that can relax with paradox and ambiguity.
0: This is that time in our service where we center ourselves. If we uh, pray, we we pray. If we meditate, we meditate. Um, We tend to watch our breath, take some seconds to just find our center. And um, I just wanted to you to the insert which has the lyrics to the two patty griffin songs that annabeth is going to be singing that i'll be giving a sermon on and uh, feel free to read along too oh and also you can light a candle if you've never been here before it's really nice right along here and you can honor somebody or someone or some part of yourself
1: Someone left mm-hmm.
0: So, you've just heard one of the most beautiful songs I've ever heard, which is called Wild Old Dog by Austin's own Patty Griffin. It is heart wrenching, as much of Patty Griffin's music is, and she wrote it in response to a stark realization. One evening, driving back from Nashville at sunset, she saw a dog running down the highway in tall grasses out ahead of her. First, she thought it was exceptionally beautiful. And then she was shocked to suddenly realize its owners had abandoned it. And then she thought how this often occurs when people don't know what to do with their pets. So she wrote this song. To me, Griffin's complex voice and her lyrics show the way the divine and the sacred are intermixed into our everyday lives. If only we have the eyes to see it. But who really has the eyes to see it, and isn't that the catch? Do you? Do I? At least Griffin did, if only for a passing glimpse just long enough to write this song. So that's the question I pose for us today. Who can see God in a wild old dog? Much of the time we here in the UU find God language quite off-putting. At times, I do, myself, and my first year of seminary has underscored this. Attending a Presbyterian seminary in Texas this year has taught me all too well how frequently we humans work too hard to make God small, or put differently, to box God. By this, I mean two things which I think we all do to some extent, no matter where we stand on God language. Many of us who find meaning in the term God try to do something impossible— And we try to articulate the ineffable. And every time we utter our definition or articulation of God, we make God smaller than any living spirit or energy or ghostly view of reality possibly could. On the other hand, those of us who don't find God language meaningful all too often do something else. Instead of trying to stuff God in a box, we put on our boxing gloves and step right into the ring. So whoever we are, both our theological and our atheological constructions tend to limit our ability to articulate the sacred. And ultimately, I think this does all of us harm, and all of the species of our planet as well. But before I get to that, let's tackle Patty Griffins and our own God language. And I'll share some of my reflections on this year in seminary, which have brought me to bring... To you, a a bit more of a Christian nuance to this service, having just talked about Pentecost and Gilead, which is written by a Calvinist theologian. Um, But I'm at a Calvinist seminary. So if by God you are describing some sort of powerful force that has volition and will and is in control of things, as so much of Christianity, Judaism, and Islam does, well, you frankly lost me. It seems pretty clear these days that the operating mechanism of evolution is random mutation. And this is such an intellectual and theological revolution for Western thought that it's no surprise that Charles Darwin, who himself was studying to become a Unitarian minister, not only didn't become a minister, but waited 30 years to publish his findings. The ripplings into theology of Darwin and Alfred Russell Wallace's discoveries and the whole resultant field of genetics is something that our religions are still suffering serious seismic aftershocks from. They have poked very large holes into previous fables that for centuries meaningfully explained where we had come from and where we were going. Okay. But... However, if by God you mean the revelation of a particularly loving man in the Middle East 2,000 years ago, you actually do have my interest. And I'm really pleased to have spent a year at a Christian seminary reliving this one story, if only to come to terms with my own Christian childhood. But I am very taken, if not completely captivated, by love. It is the most beautiful thing in the world. Love is what I've experienced from birth, from my parents, siblings, my spouse, and a very, a very few close friends. And it is what I hear in every note of Patty Griffin's voice. And if you up the ante and start talking about unconditional love, well, then you have my undivided attention. On occasion, I have, I believe, maybe a couple times, experienced what I would call unconditional love in my life, from mostly my parents, but also from my siblings and my spouse. This is acceptance of who I am no matter what. And I'll tell you that feels better than anything. And as such, those have been the most transformative relationships of my life. So I do know it exists. Have you ever had someone love you unconditionally? Perhaps a parent or a partner or a child. So imagining a God that loves like that is indeed what I would call worthwhile. And to a wonderful extent, that is much of what God does in Christianity. Or, sorry, that is much of who God is in Christianity, a deity who simply loves unconditionally. And yet, Christian theology so rarely holds to the rails of unconditional love. And so often it hops the tracks. Because if you intend by your word God to mean the exclusive revelation of unconditional love in one man in history and only one man, as almost every theologian I encountered this year did, you've utterly lost me. What is even clearer to me than than random mutation is the reality that a God who loves unconditionally would not discriminate amongst religions to find one more superior than all else. Yet, this is predominantly how Christianity has articulated itself since about the fourth century. So, God language can indeed be problematic, and to review so far, for me, these problems significantly hinge on two articulations, those of God's will or volition, and those of God's exclusivity. Each of these articulations makes God small, and in doing so, they do a lot of harm, as any hospital chaplain can tell you after trying to explain God's role in a child's death to a grieving family, as I had to do last Monday night at two in the morning. To a 31 week old baby that had been alive for an hour. Or any indigenous person can tell you after experiencing Western colonialism. Okay, but godless language, how much better does it do? And this is where I think a lot of us in the UU need to, to think carefully. Religious fundamentalisms have led so many of us, especially here in the UU into the trenches of reactionary and scientific fundamentalisms of our own. There are many atheisms. The new atheism, one particular in recent vintage, has taken as its mission curing the ignorance of religious people as if that would fix all the ills of the world. But it has replaced us with an ignorance all its own, a willful ignorance of all of the good works that so many people do daily in the name of their spiritual traditions. And an ignorance that can be as condescending and exclusionary as colonial Christianity has been. The vintage of atheism involves this vintage of atheism involves both a misunderstanding of science and a misunderstanding of people. As many a professional scientist will tell you, scientists are among the most reverent people out there. It is their very curiosity and respect for life and the workings of the universe amidst so much unknowing that motivates them they are usually filled with wonder no different than many a Benedictine mystic. So if by atheos, or godlessness, you mean that the world is meaningless, as many a postmodern philosopher has wondered, simply because it has no anthropomorphized architect, then you have similarly lost me. For meaning is made in all kinds of ways through all kinds of narratives. (coughs) or if you mean by atheism that you have arrived at certainty about the world, you have especially lost me. For as a scientist knows, science works in probabilities, not certainties. And as Pema Chodron said in our reading just now, certainty is certainly doing harm to the world, for it belies a lack of compassion and love. But if in your atheos you actually mean that much is sacred to you, as science describes it, but are offended at how other religions have inaccurately depicted theos, then you have my attention. Perhaps you are reverent toward nature. Perhaps you are reverent toward culture. Perhaps toward humanity. If you can recognize reverence, then you can probably recognize that you are reverent, just like religious people. You will see you have something in common with them. For all of us revere something, whether we are atheist, agnostic, Pagan, humanist, Christian, Sufi, or a Muslim circling the Kaaba on a hajj. In reality, most of the, many of the most irreverent people I know, when I look carefully, the most reverent. They just aren't making it so easy to see. They are spicing it up, giving it, <clears throat> their reverence, some flavor. For instance, my good friend Alex swears irreverently all the time. UFs is often how he describes people, and you have no idea unless you hear his tone what he means by that. He may be angry, or he may be deeply loving, or he may be both. Regardless, he is a reverence for whomever the object of UFs is, and it is incumbent on the listener to translate his reverence or his love to find their own understanding of what that is meaning from his perspective. So you have to get to know Alex to know what he means by UFs. You have to know how much he's been through, that he was born Elizabeth. He grew up in a fundamentalist Christian family. As a fundamentalist Christian, he fell in love with a woman and was disowned by his parents. You have to know how carefully he walked his path and with how much love he loves all the Fs in his life. You have to see between the lines. You have to look at the many bands of light that color our black and white perceptions of the world. And you have to do some translating. In the end, all of us have to do some translating with love and humility. For our Christian brothers and sisters, this is the season of Pentecost. And just like the early Christians on the morning of Pentecost, we need to break down our God talk and see it for what it is. Language that struggles and ultimately fails to speak about things that escape our conceptual grasp. We need to see that we each come from different cultures, even in here, even in Austin. Each within our own languages, much less the dialects that we speak from our own identities. And we need to work to see the complexities that we each express. For for me, myself, I'm a mystic, for I am reverent toward much that is out there, and I feel reverence emotionally through experience. But I also have to confess my atheism, because I don't think there is a volitional God out there. In fact, I'd say I have a 95% confidence interval that there is not. And in my language, in my culture, theos means a deity with a will that directs. But is that all theos can mean? No. And do I really know it? No. So I have to confess my agnosticism, my agnosia, as unsettling and humbling as it is. So by all means, let's avoid certainty when it comes to human spirituality, and let's learn to live with uncertain reverence. Let's find, as Pema Chodron said, that middle way, an open state of mind that can relax with paradox and ambiguity. This is one of the main points that I think we in the UU need to drive home in our increasingly polarized society. Our divisions within our faith are mirroring those in our political world. Just like out there, red won't talk to blue. In here, theist frequently won't talk to atheist. Whichever side we are on, we argue with the other side, and we try to come up with proofs. And as our reading from Gilead pointed out, we are profoundly unsettled when we try to claim for God something within our conceptual grasp. Perhaps many of you are like me and have been scarred, if not frankly shattered, by forms of Christian fundamentalism. So it is no surprise that we found the UU, a place where we profess to love each other unconditionally in respect to religious belief and principle. But I really wonder, how close do we actually come to doing it? Perhaps we can take children's middle way and stop suffering from resolution. There we will find the love that binds us together, via a loving atheism or a loving theism. So I return to my initial question. Who has such eyes to see the permeation of the sacred through all reality, even amidst the profane? Or, as Griffin puts it, who among us can see God in the least of us? Even a dog left out on the highway. I believe all of us can. Theist, atheist, Christian, pagan, Buddhist, Jew, agnostic, agnostic, and devout member of the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster, which happens to be my favorite church. It just takes humility It takes those of us who are scientists to recognize that we are human and maybe wrong. It takes those of us who are religious or are not to recognize that we are boxing God. So I return to the God and that old wild dog that Patty saw along the highway and told us about with such an incredible voice. Patty's voice constantly evokes a sense of humility and the reverence stemming from it. We think of her music as depressing or melancholic, and indeed it can be, But what her voice does better, perhaps, than any voice I have heard, is blend the sadness of life with a sense of growth and journey amidst a love for all things. In Buddhism and Hinduism, this is called samsara, the sadness of human life. What the Shambhala teacher Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche called the tender heart or the genuine heart of sadness. It requires an open heart. Uncertain reverence results from a humble appreciation of what we are or are not capable of. Patty Griffin grew up Catholic, but she left it for most of her life. She, like many of us, was offended by the ways in which Catholicism boxed God. Griffin nonetheless wrote some incredible songs about religion in these years. Mary, from her second album, Up to the Mountain, about the MLK speech. And one of the most reverent songs ever, Heavenly Day, which was a love song to, yep, you guessed it, her dog. However, it was not until doing her first gospel album that she really began to return to the church. That album won a Grammy and was number one on the Billboard Christian charts. Then in 2010, when she put out that album called Downtown Church, she told NPR that she, quote, was working out some complicated feelings about religion. Well, that sounds about right, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but for me, heading to the UU for the first time was exactly that, about working out some complicated feelings about religion. I wish we could just shatter the fundamentalisms that we hold. Like panes of glass, can't we take our hates, whatever they are, our judgments, whatever they are, and throw them against the concrete? And then couldn't we see what remains in the plainness of daylight? For in those shards of glass, I think we'll see refracting into rainbows. I'm I'm sorry, I think we'll see light refracting into rainbows. Instead of dualisms, we'll see the beauty of diversity, religious spectra, gender spectra, sexuality spectra, spectra of genetic biodiversity, and spectra of cultural meaning. There, amidst those shards, I think we'll see love, and I think we'll see our reverence. And as we move forward, we'll walk uncertainly, as we will be barefoot and vulnerable. And if we're lucky, one of those shards will lodge itself. Shards will lodge itself into the bottom of our foot, keeping us from forgetting our reverence and helping us to shine in a different way. So are you working out some complicated feelings about religion? And if so, welcome home. In a minute, during our offering, we'll hear Annabeth sing Patty's very most recent published and recorded song, Shine a Different Way. After her gospel album, her next album was called American Kid, and that featured Wild Old Dog. But her most recent album is called Servant of Love, and it concludes with these lyrics, which I'll just right now read the last verse of. I'm going to let it be the sun in more ways than one, run out of its horizon. I'm going to let it be the night, for I have had my day dancing at the back door. I'm going to let it hear the prayer, no matter who is there, no matter who is listening. I'm going to let the dream tell me what it has always known, the moonlight and the glistening waves. So let's both unbox God and let's unbox godlessness Let's let an uncertain reverence out. And as Patty says, let's let the rusty nail no longer hold the world together. Let's let reverence not only be a wild old dog, but let's let it be the sun in more ways than one, unexclusively. Let's let it run out of its horizon. Let's let reverence be the night. Let's let it hear the prayer, no matter who is there, no matter who is listening. extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Encourage my soul and let us journey on, for the night is dark. And I am far from home. Thanks be to God, the morning light appears. May the rusty nail no longer hold this world together. And may we go out into the world and let the sun in more ways than one. Shine a different way tomorrow.
1: This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.